Father, we just marvel at all of the things that You do every day to make us aware of Your, your closeness and of Your love. And as Jeff has talked about, the fact that you, you want to be reconciled to us the way that fathers always want to be reconciled to children that have gone off the reservation. And we confess that that, that is our lot, Father. We, we have gone off the reservation. We have rejected You. And, and even uh, in, in some minds, work hard to deny that You even exist. But we're thankful, Father, that You are tenacious and that You have worked and worked and worked lo, these, these many centuries to show Yourself as a loving God and a compassionate God and merciful and forgiving God that loves throughout the generations and who is steadfast and loyal in ways that that can never be depicted by a human heart, Father, because it's only true in You. For this we're grateful. And so we strive, Father, to become the kind of people that You would have us to be, the kind of children that brings a smile to Your lips. And which brings us to this text this morning, Father, that, that we're going to be looking at, Your inspired Word. We pray with all of our heart, that You give us eyes that see and ears that hear and turn toward You and be healed. Thank You for it, Father. And we pray that we are transformed by it from the inside out in radical revolution, revolutionary ways. Help us, Father, to be greater, more profound disciples of Jesus in all that we do. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We are coming to the end of this series that we've been doing on the theme for the year, which we introduced at the beginning of, of this year in January, the theme is Faithful. The song that we just sang, Let Us Be Faithful, is going to be a song that we're going to be singing at, uh, at different times, various times throughout the year. And what we're going to be calling our, our minds to and our lives to and our hearts to and everything about us to uh, throughout the year, th- through reminders of song and, and lessons and, and sermons, is that we are called to be faithful. And this morning, I want us to look uh, one last time at this passage in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be looking at the, uh, the, the passage that Roger just read for us, as well as uh, we're going to speed forward to the 13th chapter, and I'm going to read that in just a minute. But uh, just as a way of reminder, uh, you know, the book of Hebrews is, uh, the letter to the Hebrews is a tremendously, tremendously profound letter. And one of the, the best commentaries is, uh, there's a fellow by the name of Craig Kester, who has written out of the Anchor series on Hebrews, and he divides the book of Hebrews in three ways that I find to be extremely helpful, and it's going to be uh, uh, very helpful for us this morning as we get our mind around this book as we, as we look at these last couple of chapters. He says chapters 1 through 4 is about Christians on a journey with Christ to God's rest, to the rest of God. From chapters uh, 5 to 10, we are on a journey with Jesus as our high priest to the presence of God. And then the, the last couple of chapters, chapters 11 through 13, we are a journey with Jesus to the city of God. And that the book of Hebrews, according to Dr. Kester, can be divided, and it's real easy for us to remember this, can be divided into three areas. It is about the rest of God, the presence of God, and the city of God. And what I'd like for us to do right now is we want to think about faith. We want to think about the city of God. I want us to go to Hebrews chapter 13 and beginning in verse 10. I'd like for you to hear these words. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. 
The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through His own blood. Let us then go to Him outside the camp bearing the disgrace He bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess His name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. This, too, is God's Word. One of the things that we've been talking about in this book of Hebrews is that Hebrews is an intensely personal pastoral counseling document. It is addressed with people that are having to struggle with some things that are happening to them in life. And they're, they're having to deal with this particular question. How do I live faithfully in the world? How do I live in this world with faith when I have a lot of doubts? And there are uh, moments of uncertainty and I encounter doubts and questions about about just about everything that I can encounter in this life. How am I to live faithfully in this world? Especially when sometimes what I'm facing with uncertainty is relationships and maybe rejection from other people. And the answer that the Bible gives is twofold. As a Christian, you are given a transforming power and you are given a transforming identity. Let me say that again. As a Christian, you are given a transforming power and a transforming identity. Now, the first part of this is in a key concept that we saw last week in the letter of Hebrews. It is this word alien. We find it in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9, where in talking of Abraham, the writer says, by faith, that is, in a faithful life, by faith, Abraham lived as a what? An alien in the land of promise. Somewhere on your outline or on your, in your Bible, I want you to write that word alien down or circle it. It's an incredibly important concept for us to know. What does it mean? Well, in the Greco-Roman world, the, the word alien, as it's used in this text and in legal documents, was about a status. It was about a status in the Greco-Roman world. It was understood to be something akin to what we have today in different parts of the world as a resident alien. Uh, I have a brother-in-law by the name of Alan Close that had a Canadian father and an American mother, and for the most part of his life, his growing up years at least, he lived in Canada. And even though his father was a Canadian citizen, Alan, for all of his life, was known as a landed immigrant. And a landed immigrant is the same thing as a resident alien. It means you can live here as sort of a permanent resident, but you can't vote and you can't run for office and you can't own firearms. And what it means when the Bible says that we are resident aliens is that we're not a tourist. To be a resident alien means more than just passing through. You're not a tourist. You're not just passing through. You're a permanent resident, but you're not a citizen. And that sort of creates this special tension. And this is where that second concept, the city of God, comes in. The city of God is sprinkled throughout the remaining chapters of Hebrews. We find it in verse 10 of chapter 11, for he was looking forward to the city without foundations, whose architect and builder is God, a city of God, in verse 10. Then you drop down to verse 16. Instead, all of these people that were living by faith, just like we're striving to live by faith today in the 21st century in America, says instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. 
Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a what? A city for them. And then we go to Hebrews chapter 13. We look at verse 14. For here in this life, this, this one life that we've been given on this planet, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. One of the ways that you live as a resident alien, as a, as a disciple of Jesus, understanding that you too, like all of these that have lived before you and before me, is that we look to the city of God. That's one of the ways that we live this life faithfully in spite of all of the things that we might encounter and might confront us and challenge us in our faith on a daily basis. We look to the city of God. Now the city in the ancient world, when this letter was being written, the city was a very, very special place. In ancient times, the city was where the societies began. The city was where civilization began. In fact, I checked this out uh, earlier this week with Randy Thompson, our resident Latin expert, and, and he said that, yeah, this is, this is true, that to talk about somebody being civilized was tantamount to saying that they were a city-fied person. The city was where the civilization could develop because the city was where there was law and there were economics and there was commerce and there was police protection and these kinds of things so that people could flourish and civilization could develop as people in close proximity were learning how to live with each other successfully. Now we, we get our minds pressed back into Hebrews chapter 11 and chapter 13 and what we have is the city of God that Abraham is looking for. And the city of God uh, concept that the Hebrew writer is referring to is this new society that, that God is preparing, a people that are made up of, of individuals who live by faith. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. Case studies of people who live by faith. By faith Cain. By faith, uh, or by faith Abel. By faith Enoch. By faith Moses. By faith Abraham. It is a new society that God is preparing for this world. And it's the place where there is a new human order, a social arrangement, where everything that is ungodly is wiped out, whether it's racism or poverty or disease or injustice or even death itself. The city of God is not a place that is built on power. It's not one that's built on pride, like the Tower of Babylon, or the, excuse me, the Tower of Babel, but it is a place that is built on the peace of God and the justice of God and the service of God and love. It is a heavenly city of God, a city, verse 14 of Hebrews 13, that is to come. It is a city in the future. It is a city to come. Now when you read about the widespread, rampant, implications and ramifications for that kind of city, you want to speed it on because just think of a time when there's no, there's no disease, there's no cancers, there's none of the things that trouble us that become a reality in the presence of God. Speed it on. It's great. Bring it. But this is where the confusion begins to be created. You go to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22. You hit the confusion. But we have already come to Mount Zion. It's a city to come, but verse 22 of chapter 12, we have already come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. It seems to me that what the Hebrew writer is trying to communicate is that the city of God is here, but it's not here. The city of God is already, but the city of God is not yet. 
You know, at the end of the first century, when the church was being hammered by Rome, there is this document, uh, uh, the book of Revelation, that, or the, the letter, uh, the apocalypse, the revelation, that was sent throughout the church. It was known during that period of time. And it was a letter of encouragement, a letter of hope. And at the end of that letter, where people are having to make a decision, do we believe that God is the Caesar of all of the universe, and therefore by faith we will live as disciples of His in this world, even to the point that we may have to give up our lives? Or do we believe that the tyrant in Rome is the Caesar of the universe? And throughout the book of, or the letter of Revelation, there is sprinkled these visions of, of, of the greatness of the resurrected Christ. And at the end of that book, to, give, to, to inspire and to give hope to people that have their, their lives being crushed under the thumb of Rome, there is this vision of a, of a, a heavenly city, a great heavenly city that comes and just changes everything and transforms everything. The encouragement being that life as you know it right now is not always going to be this way. One day it will be completely, completely evident every day of your life that God is in control. And so we look toward the future. And yet, we go to Matthew chapter 5 and Jesus says, you know what Christians are like? Christians are like when they do good deeds and they do things in the name of Christ, when Christians do things like that, they're like a city set on a hill. Those good deeds are, are like a light that goes out that cannot be hidden. And so there we have this confusion. This city is to come, and yet this city is here, and we make up part of that city. Which I think means that what we experience in our fellowship with one another, in our relationship with God, and as we live our lives in light of this Word, and the, the testimony of the Spirit in our hearts on a daily basis is that we are a genuine, imperfect foretaste of that city that is to come. And here's where the concept of resident alien, I think, becomes helpful in dealing with that tension. It's we are eternal citizens of one city, but temporary residents of another. Or to put it another way, we are residents of a city that is the one that we live in, but we are citizens of a city to come. And here is how we experience that tension of living between one place but belonging to another. We experience the discord and disgrace of being a stranger. We experience the discord and the disgrace of being a stranger. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 13 and 14, let me read these again. The writer says, Let us then go to Him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace, bearing the disgrace that He bore. Because here we don't have an enduring city, but we're looking for a city that is to come. You know, one of the reasons that there is that discord between what we experience now in this life and what we anticipate in the city of God is that we live in a city right now that does not endure. It does not endure. And on top of that, because it does not endure, because it doesn't have a vision of the future the way that we as disciples of Jesus have, we believe differently than what our city believes to be true. And the bottom line is, folks, is that there is no system or culture where Christians anywhere in the world are really going to feel at home 100%. There is no single system 
There is no single culture where anywhere in the world we will feel completely comfortable. Down in the core of our being comfortable in, in that system. You know, you think about the Christians that were living in Poland in the 1970s. They were called liberals. And you know why they were called liberals? It's because they were standing up and they were challenging and they were confronting the, the, uh, 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 the, the state being turned into an idol. And the Christians in Poland during the 1970s were called liberals because they were standing up and saying, it is wrong for the state, for the government to become the idol. But then you speed forward to our time, Christians in the 21st century of America. We are not seen as liberals. We are seen as conservatives. Why? It's because we resist a relativism based on the individual determining right or wrong. We are seen as conservatives because we are confronting and challenging a culture that says, you know what, every individual has the right to determine what is right or wrong for them. And as Christians, with the vision of God's Word planted in our heart, we see the, 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 the tremendous arrogance as well as the, 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 the destruction of human relationships when that becomes the vision for the way humans live. Our lives work because they are, they are ordered by the Creator. That's what we believe. And no matter where you live, the culture that you live in is going to like some of the things that you believe and will look at some of the other values that you live by and they will say, disgrace. Disgrace. To be looked upon as a stranger means that from time to time you're going to be treated as strange. And so how do you, how do you do How do you deal with that? How do you do it on a daily basis? Live faithfully, by faith like Abraham, by faith like Enoch, walk with God. If you're a part of our Wednesday night class uh, where we're studying the, the, the Hebrew Jesus, the, 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 the life and teachings of Jesus our Hebrew Lord, You'll, you'll remember that a couple of times through the, the last couple of months we have noticed that, that there were all of these different ways that Judaism was fragmented in the first century. Josephus talks about how there were four major philosophies of Judaism during the time of Jesus. There were Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, and Zealots. Now, how do you think that we might respond to living as disciples by faith in a culture that does not accept us? Well, we could choose a Pharisee way and that is to hate everybody that's not like us and to separate ourselves from people that we don't like or don't seem to fit in with our preconceived notions of what life should look like. Or we can take the Sadducean route, and that is to compromise ourselves with the prevailing powers that be. Or we can take that Essene route, and that is we can separate ourselves and kind of go to a you know, a Christian ghetto and isolate ourselves in the wilderness, in the desert metaphorically, and not have any contact whatsoever to, you know, have nothing to do with, with the culture around us. Or we can be like zealots, and we can pick a fight with anybody that, that looks at us the wrong way. Or we can choose the Christ way, which is we love the city that will not love us back. We love the city that will not love us back. The Christian resident alien is for the city that is in conflict with him or her. You know, there was a time when the Jews had been transported out of, out of Israel. They found themselves in a foreign land. They were a part of the diaspora. They had been dispersed throughout the world. 
And what did God tell the Jews who not only felt spiritually in exile, but were literally in exile and away from from their homeland, away from, from the city of God, which was physically and literally Jerusalem? Well, over in that Old Testament prophetic book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, beginning in verse 4, there is this letter that arrives to all of those people that are in exile and wondering, you know, whether or not God even knows where they live. You know, during this period of time, you know, to live outside of Israel was to be considered, you know, the dregs of, 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 the, of, the God, of God's kingdom. To live outside of the kingdom of, 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 of Israel meant that God did not have His eyes upon you the way that He did upon those that were in the promised land. And then lo and behold, there's this letter that comes to people that are wondering, you know, what about us? What, how do we live as faithful people? How do we have a relationship with God? How do we bring glory to God with where we are right now in Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses. Settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. What God is saying to the people that find themselves in a culture that is not very conducive to their own belief system. What He writes to people who are wondering... This is what I believe about the world. This is what I believe about God. But I'm living in a place, in a culture, in a society among people that do not recognize what I consider to be the core truth of every human being. What are we supposed to do? And the Word comes to them, settle down and pray for that city. Pray that it goes well for the leaders and pray that the city flourishes and that the city prospers. And, 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 and find wives for your sons and husbands for your daughters and plant gardens there. But pray for that city because if it pro- prospers, you too will prosper. And then we speed forward several centuries to the first century, a Hebrew, uh, uh, the letter of Hebrews written to Christian resident aliens. And they're being taught to say, you know what? When I find myself in a culture where, where I don't find uh, what I find is resistance, I don't find acceptance, where I find it a struggle to live out the ramifications of the cross in a, in, a daily, in a daily walk with God, I find it difficult that that resident alien is being taught to say, as a, a, a disciple of Jesus, I may live in this city, but I will not live in this city merely as a consumer. I don't live here in order for what I get, to be made rich, but I will live as one with a godly life that will help this city to flourish. And so look at the 13th chapter of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 1, he says, Show Philadelphia. You know what that means. It means brotherly love. Show love to the brothers and sisters. Show, Show kindness to them and mercy and be generous with your brothers and sisters. Now, we all know, verse 2, what xenophobia is. That's the fear of strangers, the fear of of foreigners, right? In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2, don't have xenophobia, but have philoxenia. Love the strangers. Love the foreigners. Show hospitality because you never know when you might be entertaining an angel and you're unaware of it. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 3, remember those that are in prison. 
and do good to those that are mistreated. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, help the marriages flourish. Bless the community you live in by blessing marriages. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 16, do good. Share with other people. Verse 18, and pray. And pray and pray and pray. You want know resident aliens are Christian resident aliens? Christian resident aliens are, are the counterculture for the common good. Do you understand how radical the call that God has given you really is? Now, I know that's a, that's a, that's a tough deal. I know, I know that's difficult. You know, we look at, we, you know, at the way that sometimes disciples of Jesus are treated and the way that they're looked upon with disdain, and it's a tall order. I know to be able to live this way with this kind of vision faithfully, to be a person by faith that lives this way in this kind of world. But this is where the transforming power comes in. The power to do this is when we look at Jesus. And we see again and again and again, new each day, what He accomplished in the cross. And when we get our minds around it, when we get our heads around it, our hearts are melted and our hearts are transformed. In Luke chapter 13, verse 34, what is it that Jesus is doing as He overlooks Jerusalem? He's weeping. Jesus was so tenderhearted that He looked down upon that ministry of reconciliation that God had sent Him from heaven to earth to accomplish. And He is weeping over Jerusalem. He wants the city saved. He wants the city to flourish as a people of God. But it doesn't do that, does it? That city that He is weeping over, and that city that He wishes that He could gather them all in as a, as a hen gathers the chicks under her wings, is the very city that massacres Him and crushes Him and makes Him hard to look upon because of what the city, the people, the inhabitants of that city that were in, in, in discord with Him and in disagreement with Him and in hatred of Him did to Him. And then we realize that one of the reasons that He took on that disgrace and was taken outside the city, He was cut off. He was cut off from the land of the living, Isaiah 53. Cut off. All of that for us. Jesus was willing to lose one city in order for us to gain an eternal city. And having gained an eternal city to be transformed into salt, into light, so that by our good deeds and by our good words and by all of the things that we do to love the strangers and to love the brothers and to help marriages flourish and to pray and to do good and to share with others and to bring to bear the greatness of the life of Jesus lived out in our lives every day upon the city is, 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 is to be transformed completely into a faithful disciple of Jesus. I don't know if I've ever told you this story before. Uh, a lot of years ago, um, it was back when Phil Hardeberger was mayor of, of uh, San Antonio, from time to time I, I would get a phone call from one of the councilmen in this district to go in to lead the, the, the invocation at the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the city, cha uh, the c uh, city uh, chamber of commerce, commerce meeting. 
And, uh, you know, I'd done it a couple of times, and so I, I, I sort of knew what to do when I arrived. And, you know, I'm sitting down front, and time came for, uh, for us to, to go forward, and I led the, uh, the prayer. And in that prayer, I prayed that God bless all of our councilmen and especially our mayor with wisdom so that there be peace in our city and unity and that our city flourish and that violence go down and, 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 and these sorts of things that you can imagine uh, being prayed for in the name of Jesus. And then we said the Pledge of Allegiance. And um, uh, the mayor had a couple of words for me, and I left. That was on Thursday. Sunday morning, I get to the office, and there's an email, somebody I don't recognize, and it's addressed to the councilman at the time, John Clamp, and I'm copied on it, and basically the letter was saying, I was sitting in the audience when, when uh, Pastor Absher got up, and prayed a prayer in the name of Jesus. And as an atheist, I felt isolated and marginalized and was made to feel that I don't fit in. And if Councilman Clamp and Pastor Absher do not make a public apology for praying in the name of Jesus uh, uh, publicly at the the next city council meeting, then I will sue the city of San Antonio. What do you do? Well, the, the Monday I call the councilman's office and the councilman says, you know, we get an email from that guy about once a month. And, you know, if there's nothing to worry about, uh, you know, this, uh, you, you know, and I, I called up a, a lawyer and he said, well, I, you know, I happen to know who this guy is and, you know, I, I, if I were you, I wouldn't worry about it. So I didn't worry about it. But I never, you know, I never, it was never lost on me that how can you be praying for all of these beautiful, wonderful things to happen in your own city in the name of Jesus make you mad? And another thing that I never forgot about that is what Mayor Hardeberger said to me at the end of the Pledge of Allegiance. I turned around and started to go back to my seat. And he goes, "Uh, Pastor Absher, I want you to know how much I appreciated your prayer. And oh, how I wish every person in our, our city would pray that same kind of prayer. And you don't stop praying it. I said, thanks. Turned around and left. You know, it, it's, it's not easy to live as a disciple of Jesus. It's not. And there are going to be times when even what you're doing with the best intentions and with your love, you know, your heart overflowing with love, it's going to be misconstrued and it's going to be made to be seen as something ugly, like bias or something racist. And the temptation is, you know, I'll never do that again. But then we see Jesus in the garden saying, this is tough. Let this cup pass from me. If it's, if, it's, if it's your will, Father, let it pass from me. But not my will, your will be done. And He goes to the city and He's crushed for our iniquities so that we, He's taken outside of the camp, He's taken outside of the gate, outside of the city. He is cut off from the land of the living for us so that what He loses, we will never ever lose the city of God. And we live with that vision every day as God calls us to transform San Antonio, San Antonio, into a place that recognizes and loves God eternally. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. Some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. 
And what we want you to do this morning is, is, is to respond to the call of God in your life. It may be that God is calling you to give your life to Him completely by accepting the, the grace that comes to you, the salvation that comes to you because of the sacrifice of Jesus, to participate in His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. That as Jesus died to sin, you died to sin as well. And as Jesus resurrected to a new life, you come up out of the waters of baptism in newness of life because of the power of God that has been wrought on your soul and spirit and heart and mind and body. Or it might be that there are some things that are happening in your life that's diminishing that witness, that testimony, that example, that light, those good deeds, those good words. It's diminishing it because you've not you've not reckoned with it or you've not dealt with it in a way that you feel the freedom and you feel the release from whatever it might be, that sin, that iniquity, whatever it might be, release from that in order to live your life fully and without hesitation as a disciple of Jesus today in this city. If that describes you in any way, our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. Come down and talk to them as we stand and sing together. I'd like to stay here longer than man's allotted days And watch the fleeting changes of life's uneven ways But if my Savior calls me to that sweet home on high I'll live with Him forever in glory by and by Oh. Yeah.